You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. Good morning. My name is Ashley. My husband, Scotty, and I lead a community group with the Forbuses. Um, I'm going to be reading the scripture this morning from Philippians 1, sorry, Philippians 3, 1 through 11. So if you'd like to follow along. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead." The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ashley. Hey, good morning. It's good to be with you. Thank you for sharing uh, in the observance of, of baptism uh, with us here. My name's Tanner House. I'm the, I'm the lead pastor. If you're a guest, it's good to be with you. There are connect cards on the resource wall on your way out, or you can scan one of the strategically located QR codes. We'd love an opportunity to connect with you to see how we can serve you to see how we can get you plugged into the life of the body. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand, or if you're on your phone or your tablet, we use the ESV. Uh, Jordan is back there, and he'd be happy to bring you one. And if you don't own a Bible, that is yours to keep. Um, Again, we're in Philippians 3. We've been walking through Philippians um, most of this semester, so uh, we're back in it. My wife, Kendra, and I, we have a shared hobby. We go to garage sales and estate sales and thrift stores together. I look for uh, vinyl records and books that I can read, and she looks for, I don't know. She looks for it, though. Uh, But whatever she finds, it usually ends up being super cool. So, for example, we were at Door of Hope a few doors over, uh, a couple blocks that way, and she found this ceramic goose. Uh, and I was looking at this goose like, I don't understand this beautiful woman, but I'll buy you this goose. It was this ceramic goose, and it had no backside. It just was like a gooseneck and the bottom part and empty in the middle. And so now this ceramic goose sits on our coffee table and has this cool plant living inside of it in our living room that could be in some magazine were it not for my kids who live in my house because their toys are strewn about everywhere. But sometimes I look at this, uh, at the stuff at these cells, and I think about what this item cost, you know, 25 years ago. I was at a garage sale yesterday, and I bought two tape decks from the 80s 
for five bucks each. But back in the day, those would have been like a couple hundred bucks. I'm now buying these items either because the technology has become obsolete or the person who bought them to begin with doesn't want them anymore. So some stuff that's going on in my life right now, my parents are cleaning out their house, getting ready to leave Hobbs, New Mexico when they retire because they feel like they've done their time there. And so a few months ago, my mom brings me a box from my childhood bedroom and it's full of CDs. A few things become very clear as I open this box of CDs. My taste in music back then was a mix between awful and awesome, and I also spent a lot of money on CDs. And as I looked in this box of my old CDs, they don't have any monetary value left, and they don't have any value to me at all, period. I threw them all in the dumpster. I bought my first secular, non-Christian CD when I was in seventh grade. It was a Matchbox 20 CD, and I threw it away, threw it in the dumpster, along with all my other CDs, the ones I bought and the ones I burned slash stole. They're all in that dumpster together. 90s kids, you know what I'm talking about. There was this stuff that I placed so much value on, and it's now in the dump. And we do that. We place value on stuff. We place worth on stuff. Our bank accounts, our lifestyles, our reputations, whatever else we put so much value on. But what our text teaches us today is that there is only one thing worth placing significance and value on. There's only one thing in our life that will never, ever fail us and never, ever lose value, and that is Christ. We cannot place our hope in anything other than the finished work of Jesus to us. And so this morning, I just want to remind us of how good Christ is, and I want to remind us of the goodness of Jesus to us and how great his work for us is. And so let's pray, and then we're going to go through this text together. Lord Jesus, we need you. Thank you for the cross and resurrection. Lord, thank you for the picture of baptism. Lord, where we as believers identify with you and your death and your burial and your resurrection. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would impress on us our need for you. Move in us this morning. Lord, remind us of your nature and your character, your your holiness and your grace and your mercy to us. Church, if you're willing, I'd ask that you would pray for yourself, that the Lord would bring encouragement where encouragement is needed and conviction where conviction is needed. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your name we pray, Jesus, amen and amen. All right, Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So Paul begins this text with the word, finally. This isn't him saying, hey, in conclusion... 
but rather he is wrapping up this previous section that ends in chapter 2. We've been looking at that for the last few weeks. But what he's essentially saying is, so then, because of the humiliation and exaltation of Christ, who went to the cross in humble submission to the Father, this Jesus, who has been exalted above heaven and earth and above every name on heaven, in heaven and under the earth and on earth, this Jesus is reigning and ruling. This Jesus who endured our sin and endured our shame and did so on our behalf, this Jesus who is our example to live holy lives that are worthy of the gospel, Paul says, so then in view of Christ, rejoice. Rejoice for the salvation that you have received and rejoice in con- contentment for who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And then after Paul is calling this church to rejoice, his tone then shifts from a gentle tone to some then hard truths. Let's look at verses two and three together. Paul says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So for context, one of the occasions, one of the reasons for Paul to write the letter to the church of Philippi is to combat false teaching. He's combating heresy uh, and those that are teaching uh, about Jesus and how salvation is possible. So we have this group known as the Judaizers. They're the same group of people that are causing problems in the book of Galatians, if you remember that from a few months back. This group had no issues with the cross and resurrection of Jesus. They believed that faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is necessary for salvation. But they also added to it. They also believe that in order for a person to be saved, one must keep all of the Jewish laws. Specifically, that in order for someone to be saved, this person must be circumcised. So essentially, to summarize, in order to be a Christian, one must first become Jewish. This is what's known as faith and works theology, faith plus works theology, and this diminishes, this lessens Jesus' work on the cross by saying that the sacrifice of Christ alone in and of itself isn't sufficient for salvation. So Paul says, watch out for these false teachers, watch out for those dogs. In Jewish culture, dogs were not treated like people like they are in our culture. But dogs were actually considered filthy. They would, Jewish people would never have dogs as pets. They were an unclean animal. To the point that Jews often referred to Gentiles as dogs. And Paul completely reverses this view. He calls these Jewish teachers dogs. The implication is that those who pervert the gospel are the dogs. Those who lead people astray from Christ are the unclean dogs. Paul says, watch out for them. They only care about externals. They're evil because they're trying to lead you away from Jesus. They're evil because their mission is not a holy one. Paul calls them mutilators of the flesh because they place so much value on circumcision as a ritual 
that does nothing for the soul that participates in it. Paul says, rather, we, the church, are the circumcision. Those who belong to Christ have had their hearts circumcised and they are now sealed by the Spirit of God to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. There is no confidence in ritual. There is no confidence in the ritualism of religion. So all other religions in the world would say you have to do something. You have to try your best. You have to live a good moral life. You have to be a good person. And whatever deity that is worshipped in these other religions, this deity will then accept you. But what is really required is faith. Faith in the person and work of Jesus and what he did on the cross and completed through his resurrection to forgive us from our sins. So rather than having to go through all of these rituals of whatever religion, the Christian faith invites you to rest. It invites you to rest in the work that has already been done for you. Sometimes, though, even people who claim to be Christians forget this. So if this is you, listen, you can do all of these churchy things. You can look righteous externally and still have no real relationship with Jesus. We can be baptized. You can attend church services here and there. You can give, you can serve, and you can do so from a heart that has no real and saving knowledge of who Christ is and what he's done. If our boasts are in ourselves and what we have done or what we do, then we don't understand just how sinful we are. We don't understand how sinful we are, and we don't understand how good the cross and resurrection of Jesus is to us. If our boast is in us, and our hope is only in us, and our good works, and our rule following, then we don't understand just how wicked our hearts are apart from Jesus. And we don't understand how needy we are apart from Jesus. When you are simply trying to be a good person, you don't understand what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. This Jesus died in your place. He satisfied the demands of the law against your sin. This Jesus paid our debts. And this is a debt that you and I could never pay on our own. Paul then moves from this to highlight exactly why this is true. Look at verse 4. Paul says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also... If anyone thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So Paul's giving his credentials as a good, moral person. He is, by all accounts, the best of Jews. Perhaps when it comes to being a Jew and keeping the Jewish law, 
only Jesus Christ himself has ever obeyed more completely and fully. Paul says, if you want to keep score, and if you think you're something, I promise you, I can make the argument that I'm better. If you think you're something, just look at my record. This is what Paul is saying. He says, I'm an eighth dayer. Only true men born into Judaism, only those men can make this claim. The command on the Jewish families in the Old Testament law was to have their sons circumcised on the eighth day of their lives. And so Paul's family did this. Paul says, I can trace my lineage all the way back to Father Abraham. And as you know, this Father Abraham had many sons. And Paul's like, I'm one of them. Hey, thank you, treasure. And not only can I trace my lineage all the way back to Abraham, but I am also from the tribe of Benjamin. You're like, well, why, what does that mean? Let me tell you. The significance of this is because in Old Testament history, the kingdom of Israel was split into two. Ten of the tribes went with the godless kings of Israel, those kings that did evil in the sight of the Lord. And two other tribes stayed loyal to King David the tribe of, uh, the, in the kingdom of Judah. These two tribes were Judah and Benjamin. The Messiah was going to come through the Davidic line. David was from the tribe of Judah. And so the tribes of Judah and Benjamin stayed loyal not just to the king of their choice, but to the God of the covenant. The God who promised that he would be their God and they would be his people and that one day one of David's descendants would rule and reign for all eternity. Paul is making this declaration. I am the goat of Jews. <laughs> and beyond just lineage, there is his office. Paul says, I'm a Pharisee. He was a part of this super group of religious leaders who not only knew the law of the Old Testament, but added more to it in order to keep themselves in practice and appearance, appear to be more holy than everyone else in society. He was not only a Pharisee, but he was a zealous one. He contended for Judaism to the point where he was willing to persecute the church and murder those who left the Jewish faith for something else. Paul kept the law. The whole law and then some. His life, by Jewish standards, was above reproach. But look at what he says about all of this. Verse 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So to paraphrase this verse, all of Paul's accomplishments, everything he thought would work as a credit to him, everything that he would say should have earned him God's favor, did nothing for the sake of his soul. All of his good works, apart from the grace of Jesus, were not helping him. This don't, they, don't, they don't mean a thing. Your good works don't mean a thing compared to the work of Christ. Look at verses 8 and 9. Indeed, says Paul, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, 
not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul has forfeited his position in Judaism and exchanged it for a place in the kingdom of God. And that's because he values Jesus. He says he counts all of his former life, his lineage, his position, his rule following for the sake of rule following. He counts them all as rubbish, according to the ESV. There is some debate about what this word actually should be translated as. And so I'm going to go with this. Paul says it's doo-doo compared to Jesus. Whether you find this vulgar or crass or not, and the vulgarity seems very deliberate on Paul's behalf in order to make a point. The point is that life is worthless and meaningless apart from Christ. The invitation for you is to know Jesus. One commentator says it like this. You can eat the bread of life and live. Or you can have a pile of dung. The dung of religious self-efforts and earthly praise and comforts found in your possessions. Or you can have eternal joy. The joy of knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Salvation doesn't come from your good works. It doesn't come through your moral living. Because you can never be good enough on your own. And even if you could be, you wouldn't be because your heart is so dead set in sinful rebellion against God. You need a Savior. You needed faith in Jesus. And this faith is only possible through faith in Christ given to us by his Holy Spirit. Paul says that righteousness, our virtue, our worthiness is not found on our own, through our deeds, but our righteousness comes from outside of us. It is what's known as an alien righteousness. Verse 9 talks about our justification, so consider this. In verse 6, the Apostle Paul talks about the fact that according to the law, he was blameless. But he can never live up to sinless perfection. He needed someone else's righteousness in order to be made right, in order to be justified before God. So here's the bad news for you this morning. Only righteous people are going to heaven, and none of us are righteous. But here's the good news. There is a way to be made righteous. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. We have all sinned, and we all have missed the mark. We have all sinned, and sin is more than just making bad choices. It's more than just doing the stuff you know you're not supposed to do. It's treasonous rebellion against a holy and just God, and sin has consequences. It leads to brokenness in relationships, and more importantly, it leads to broken fellowship with God, and it leads to broken fellowship with the bride of Christ. Sin causes separation, and it demands a payment, and Jesus came. Romans 5, 6 said, 
says, for while we are still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then in verse 8, Paul says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ Jesus died in our place. And with this act of love, by Jesus dying in our place, Christ paid our debts. Christ took our deserved punishment and paid our penalty. And now we have been set free from sin to love and follow Jesus in faith and in submission. Christ has justified us. Christ has made us right. He has given us his undeserved grace and mercy, the grace and mercy that we needed in order to be saved. We have been justified. We have been made right, like we have never sinned. But also, we have been justified. We have been made right, like we always obeyed. Now, Christian, because Jesus has saved you, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your shame. He doesn't see your sinfulness, but he sees Jesus' perfection. He sees Jesus' perfect obedience and his perfect sacrifice covering you. Now, because Christ's righteousness has been transferred to us, when we sin, we can confess. Because God is no longer viewing us as his enemies, but as his children. We didn't do anything to earn this. We didn't do anything to change God's view of us. Christ did it all. When Christ sees us, he sees the blood of Jesus covering us. We can approach him in faith and repentance, confessing our failures in confidence that we will receive his forgiveness. And our justification leads to relationship with him. Our justification leads to our sanctification or our transformation as we become more and more like him. All right, verses 10 and 11, and we'll wrap this up. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus, we get to know him through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. We get to know him intimately. We get to know the God of the universe intimately, who spoke creation into existence. We have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and dwelling inside of us. The exact same power. And we can endure because of the exact same power. We get to endure the trials of life, the sufferings of this world, because God is with us. God is with us as a comforter in times of struggle. We have the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin and draws us to himself when our desires for him are lacking. God empowers us for holiness and equips us for mission. God is with us, our Emmanuel, God in flesh. Jesus Christ has been tempted in every way in which we are tempted, and he has overcome. So we can lean on him. We can freely and confidently approach God, who is our good, good father. And when we endure in suffering, we are identifying with Jesus who went to death on our behalf. Francis Chan says this, 
Paul says he wants to know the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Earlier, he told the Philippians that we have been given the gift of suffering for Christ. And this flies in the face of prosperity theology that says you will have, if you have faith, you will be healthy, wealthy, and have no trials. But this is not so. Rather, in following Jesus, we will encounter suffering. And we will encounter sorrow as we take up our own cross in order to follow him. But through suffering, we get to know Jesus better. Because he's with us. He's with us in our sufferings. And we find joy in trial because Christ is increasing our faith in him. And knowing Jesus is worth it. And what we we were created for. Suffering for Christ and thinking about suffering is really hard for us. But God's work in our hearts allows us as believers to believe, and Christ helps us to believe even in the worst possible circumstances. If the worst happens in your life, is God still good? I set you up, bro. You like to holler back at me. Dev, if the worst happens in your life, is God still good? Yeah. Yes and amen. And he invites us to pray. He invites us to pray to him for help, even when we don't believe that. You don't have to clean yourself up to approach God. You get to approach God because of what he's done for you. And when we pray that God would help us to know him and his character and his work and that we would see more of him in our lives, when suffering comes, truth can be rooted in our hearts so you can suffer to the glory of God. And when our faith is in Christ, we are growing in Christ. We can anticipate the day then that he will redeem us from all of this and we will be with him. Christ Jesus came to earth and lived a perfect sinless life and died in our place. Not just so that you, Christian, can go to heaven. That was not the goal of the cross and the resurrection. That is a nice byproduct, a nice reward. But Christ came so that we could know him and delight in him and grow in him as he transforms us moment by moment in him for his glory. Is your faith in Christ? Or are you just trying to be good enough to do enough to earn his love? Are you just trying to get by one day at a time? Man, if this is you, repent and believe in the cross of Jesus by faith. Ask the Lord to help you in your unbelief. Confess your sins one to another. Confess to your group and ask for accountability or ask for encouragement. But just consider the cross of Christ to you this morning and receive the free gift of salvation by grace through faith. Turn from your sins and place your hope in Christ. Let's pray.